Barcelona win El Clasico, Fener win big in Russia, and our Maccabi in serious playoff trouble. It's all ahead of us on EuroLeague Sweet 16. Tune in. Great pass from Diomantidis. The lob is done! We go, 40 minutes to a title. EuroLeague Sweet 16, exactly what you need. As ever, we are up on SoundCloud and we are, of course, uh, on wherever you get good podcasts. So be sure to search for EuroLeague Sweet 16 to subscribe and get the episodes as soon as they drop. Hello and welcome to EuroLeague Sweet 16. I'm back again. Uh, and it'll be actually more than one one off. I'll be back again next week and probably the week after too. I know, it's crazy. Uh, Moshe has managed to get me down for a bit of a run. Emmett Ryan from Ball in Europe here. Joined by the man who was actually paying attention last night, Moshe Barda of Team Scout. Uh, no Aris this week and I think we won't have Lewis. He may join us at some stage. There are workmen currently in his apartment while we're recording this. So depending on how the workmen situation is, Lewis might be able to join us briefly. But uh, having been where Lewis was before, trust me, that could be very long and very loud and really annoying on a Saturday morning which is what it is in Scotland for Lewis right now but Moshe how's life in I suppose early afternoon in Israel for you? Well it's hot here uh, finally last week it seemed as if we were, uh, it was a bit cold I felt it by the way you know us people when we uh, when we get younger that spirit like the the cold breeze does its thing uh, by the way Lewis texted me something about dropping everything he's doing and wanting to become a handyman do you know what why? Um, I don't know, maybe it beats having a government job, who knows? <laughs> so, folks, nothing beats having a government job. Those pensions are legit. And I say this as someone who's in private sector his whole life. Uh, briefly self-employed, well, briefly, it was a few years. My first few years working, I was self-employed as a freelance. That was fun in parts, uh, not fun. Uh, can we say ass in this show? I think we can. It was ass in parts. Uh, and uh, But, you know, I enjoyed it. But, uh, you know, having someone else to do my taxes when I went private sector was nice. Uh, having an actual pension would be nicer. Uh, instead, I'm uh, I, I'm stuck, you know, planning on dying at my desk, which in fairness is not the worst way to go. But thankfully, this morning I have Moshe to join me. And Moshe, we've got a lot to get through today, don't we? Oh, we sure do. Yeah, so obviously we mentioned the Blaugrana, we mentioned Maccabi, we mentioned Fenner, there's also a bit of FS. There's a lot to get through, really, like, um, for context, my picks went 5-4 after an 0-4 start. That's how weird this week was. Um, in that one, I started 0-4. little weird, too. I managed to get five in a row right. Weirder, I would say. So on that bombshell, it's uh, four in a row right most it goes to be. I, I got one wrong? I, I we all did. Thought. Madrid. We all picked Madrid for to, to win. Oh, wow, wow, wow. So there we go. So I thought I went five in a row. No, no, no. Moja has corrected me across the screen. Uh, I went four in a row and then I picked Madrid because we all just didn't believe that Barca would do it that particular time. Shows what stupid we are. The only way to deal with our idiocy correctly, though, is through the most inaccurate name segment in all of sports and entertainment today, the four-minute warning. Four minutes to get through all the action that just happened in EuroLeague. It's the four-minute warning. And so, Moshe, I suppose we should get to the one we all got wrong. Because uh, especially given I... Foolishly, clearly my brain is fried from all the travel and all the training, you know, and learning the dim Mac that I am, um, you know, forgot I'd picked Real to win this. And instead, Barcelona won pretty clear cut in the end. Lapro in a classic, you know, go back to hurt your old club team had a great night. Mirotic in an even more classic go back to hurt your old club team had a great night. Uh, and uh, yeah, like Barca, you know, 13 points to margin, but it felt like more control than that. Would that be a reasonable assessment? Let's just say that even though Lewis wants to become a handyman, right, because his guy's late as we speak, it actually were 
these guys that gave Madrid the business, if you know what I mean. It's, uh, wow, wow. I did not see that one coming because remember, like Barcelona, they are injury plagued as we speak for the time being. I mean, you know that Calafis was out. Yes, they got Dante Exxon, which was great, by the way. Uh, to, to get a guy like that, I'm not saying like in general that the dude dropped like 20, 10, and 5. Um, just like, you know, w- when you look at it genuinely and to see what Barcelona is doing right now, that tells me a whole lot about them as a team because not having, right, not having uh, a guy like Nick, which is, you know, perhaps arguably one of the last somewhat pure point guards left in a competition. In the EuroLeague, of course, we're not referring to Milos, who's playing in, in Virtus in the EuroCup. But, you know, no Higgins also. So no Higgins, no Calafis, and still they managed to give like a double digit, to get a double digit win. Not true. Yeah, I- and they leaned heavily on the starters, Moshe. Like, you look at the numbers, and by the way, just fun fact, I didn't know until uh, after seeing the box score for this game, Dante Exum's name is Lehman. Uh, so there you go. But, like, they didn't really, like, use the bench heavily. Like, the most minutes any bench player have here, which, is, you know me, I love to go to my box scores. Brandon Davies, 14 minutes, 11 seconds. Now he was efficient. <laughs> you know, 16 points off, uh, perfect shooting. And, uh, you know, including one from deep. And he had two dimes as well. But like, so that's a really good bench performance from Brandon Davies. But again, not like he was playing heavy minutes. Like they leaned on their starters. Lapro, 33 minutes. Marotic, 29 minutes. Kyle Courage, 25. You know, Serge Xanli, uh, 26. Like they leaned on their starters to get this job done. And, you know, like you were saying, like they, they got the injury issues, but like they're, they're finding ways to win. Even, I would say unconventionally, because it's not like they didn't have guys to use off the bench. I mentioned Brandon Davies. You've mentioned Exum, who admittedly, we weren't expecting huge minutes there because of the nature of his recent signing. But like Rogos Jacobitis is always good off the bench. You know, you got Pierre Oriola who can do a job. Nigel Hayes Davis. You got all these guys and like, you know, didn't use Smiths. I'm guessing there was a bit of an injury question there because, you know, you'd expect to see Roland Smith get some minutes in a game like this, you know, and uh, didn't use Salcedo. Not quite as surprising, to be fair. Salcedo, sorry. Not quite as surprising, to be fair. But, uh, you know, they leaned on their starters in this one and it proved enough. It's not just that, Emmett. It's like last week, they they beaten uh, Anadolu Fest. Now, Anadolu Fest that were on the rise and we're going to get to Anadolu Fest, obviously, later on the show. But you look at him. And you're thinking they're not supposed to win games like this. Like, yeah, if, if they were to to face uh, an Alba Berlin team, like you know Alba Berlin or a Panathinaikos uh, uh, team or Monaco, yes, you you take the win probably. But now we're talking Real Madrid. Now, yes, they were kind of on and off in terms of of shooting from deep throughout the season. Though it was their interior scoring that that was an issue. And you know what? It's it, it astonishes me really. It, it is delightful to see team that it, you know, that keeps finding ways. And it's not just against, like, you know, your, your 16, 17 seed. It, it's against, like, you know, top three, top four teams. And, yes, okay, true. Anadolu Fest are definitely not ranked at number four, three, or whatever. They are now six and eight because they, they actually managed to lose another game. Um, it is – still, they are the reigning champs, and they were on the way up. So two wins like this. You know what? Yeah, I, I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And like this was this was first versus second as well. It wasn't just El Clasico. So you know it was top of the table clash. So the real chance for like double the bragging rights. And Barcelona, like we said, controlled is the word I'd use. And I finish off on that one on. Wait, well, let's so say. Do you, agree, do you agree though with Ari? Because Ari, as soon as Dante signed, right? As soon as Lehman signed, by the way, yes, you you surprised me as well. Uh, <laughs> 
as soon as he signed, he tweeted that now from now on, I think it was like right after it was, it's either winning the competition or it's a bust. I would agree. Well, like I think I said last season, they had to be a final four side in order for them not to be a bust. And, you know, I felt not winning a championship was acceptable last year because it was year one of the, the project, so to speak. But year two, you've got the roster now. You've made the slight adjustments in terms of your roster. Yeah, if Barcelona don't win this title, you know, even though it comes down to like, you know, two knockout games, they should still consider this season a bust. It's like when Cheska went to Istanbul, like Cheska that season, uh, you know, and obviously the the famous, you know, 007 moment. But anything from the start of that season, you know, Cheska had to win the title. Like they had loaded up like crazy. You know, they brought back AK when he was still in his peak years. Like this is a Cheska side designed for one purpose, and that was to win the EuroLeague. Oh, and it was, you're talking 2012. Yeah, I'm talking 2012. That Cheska side, as soon as that season started, they had to win the EuroLeague. Anything else was... Now, people might say, you know, well, Cheska, if they don't win the EuroLeague, that's a failure every year. And that's a reasonable argument because the running joke is their season begins and ends the Final Four weekend. But no season more than that was there. Cheska must win EuroLeague, and they didn't. And it, you know, it was a mental impact that they couldn't handle for quite a while. It took them a few years to rebound from that, really. And I think Barcelona, we're in the same place here. If they don't win the title this year, like last year, especially given they didn't lose it badly, like they weren't beaten off the court by FS. FS deserved the win, don't get me wrong, but like it was a close game. Like Barcelona, you know, that was pretty much the one acceptable level they could get to without winning the trophy. Now the only acceptable level is winning the trophy. And frankly, even before Exum, I, I felt it was title or bust, uh, you know. And, you know, there's going to be, you know, more focus in the basketball section of the club now with the football team having dropped down to the Europa League. And so the other sections of the club are going to be expected to like pull their weight more in international competition to, you know, help with the standing of FC Barcelona as a grand project in the city. And yeah, like winning the EuroLeague, that's kind of fundamental to all of this. So yeah, I, I agree with Aris entirely. Would you be agreeing that it's win or bust? I think this is something we said from the get-go. Like, honestly, it's uh, we, we may have felt that something was maybe they were missing a guy, you know, in terms of to make this roster as close to perfection as possible. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're definitely on board. Like, uh, every conversation I think we've had, whether it was last year that we coined, like, you know, the fi- and we got the finals we all anticipated and, and kind of predicted, which was Anadolu uh, Barcelona. Uh, but this year... Like, and, and again, we, we've said it time and again, it wasn't like just even you said, you know, before the tweet, you thought that that is the case title or bust. And, and it seems it seems about right. Um, and having said how right it seems to, to see uh, uh, Barcelona uh, getting this win and maybe, you know, the title. I was a bit lost for words uh, for some of the results. I'm not going to lie. I expected Mike James to not play, but he did. Uh, and the win of Milan against uh, uh, Monaco. Uh, safe to say that revenge season is not going perhaps according to plan. I think that's a reasonable point. I think that we will move on to FS, who looking at sort of the, it's not just that they lost to Bayern, because Bayern aren't a bad team and winning in Munich isn't easy. It's yeah. the way they lost. They had made a comeback to make, you know, to, to give Bayern a bit of a fright going into the final quarter. What do Bayern do? Shut down the FS offense for the last 10 minutes. Seven points in 10 minutes is all FS managed in that final quarter where they were meant to be on the comeback trail. Like, I remember on Lukic was once again, classic, you know, point forward Lukic. Like, you know, he had his 12 rebounds to go with his 18 points, his four dimes as well. Like, he was clearly the best player on the court in this game. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we've seen much angrier versions of Lukic take teams apart. He didn't need to reach that. You know, he was at like, you know, 
the level below his top level, if you know yeah. what I'm saying, Moji. He was a very high level. Like he was like that one degree short because he didn't need to go to that other degree above. And, you know, that's to me is an even bigger indictment that like you didn't have to get the very best of Vladimir Lukic, you know, to beat FS. Like you got very, very, very good Vladimir Lukic, just to be clear, Bayern fans tuning in, we thought he was very good. What I'm saying is you and I know, and so do the, the listeners, we can get better from Lukic, but he just didn't need to go to that very, very special place because FS just were a joke, like no bench. Like just simple as that. There were, you know, well, no effective bench because I know technically, like some of their score, the top scores were off the bench, but there was no depth. Really, is what I'm saying here. Like, you know, they only had a couple of guys really contributing, and yeah, they they were they were not good at basketball. Is the short way of putting it. And for a team that's going to be on the comeback trail, rising back up, this was uh, not bueno. No, it was not. By the way, Lucic. Did I say Lucic? I mean, say, no, keep that in, keep that in. I keep I always mean to say Lucic. Folks, yeah. if you ever hear me say Lukic, uh, you know, listeners, there means one thing. I am tired because I always, always like, you know, try to make sure I say Lukic. So if I'm saying Lukic, uh, Vlad, my man, trust me, that isn't me being offensive to you and how you pronounce your name. That's me being tired. So Bye. Vlad, I love you and I'll get your name right next time or else I'll have another coffee if I don't. Okay, we cool? We cool, Moshe? Oh, for sure. Listen, the thing is, I, I got a vouch for Emmett here because, I mean, there are like tons and tons and tons of, of behind the scenes stories for this show. Right. And all of them are majestic, to say the least. Um, and I've seen Emmett in his most fatigue moments. <laughs> you really have. And Emmett has seen me in my most fatigue moments, I think. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know what? It is, first of all, he's, he's one of the best guys out there. Like, even oh. though he, he might, you know, he might try to, to play it cool and humble and whatnot and say, no, I'm like, you know, but legit, Emmett is, even though he called me and I like it loud, like as one of the most intense people that he ever met. You he, really are. <laughs> I am, I am. Though I, I think I managed to, to calm it down a bit. You, you managed to calm it down a bit. Yeah, you did, you did. You, you are you are just as intense so honestly guys if if memory serves me right like i think the best uh emmett is practically uh a zombie coming to a live broadcast which was i have to admit impressive by itself like you, you guys don't know but most of the times when emmett comes to the final fours he's coming from the state so he has like a very very long trip coming to the final fours and jet lag is a thing and or it's often it's sometimes even worse motion so sometimes i'll have gone to the states just got home and then as in like literally had a night and then got onto the final four so it's that's even crazier like but yeah it's like I, i'm often traveling for my day job during may and it's got an invariable moment of uh you know tying into being close to the final four and as a result my body's just everywhere and yes and after that we had that epic night in belgrade so with that and now you also have to to be uh coherent for the lack yeah. of a better word <laughs> So yeah, it can't be challenging. So, but we should really get back to FS. We should get back yeah. to FS. What happened? I honestly don't know because we've seen that happening like last year, right? Also a bad start, yada yada yada. They bounce back, but it's like it looks like they've lose. They've lost some of their juice, if that makes any sense. Because it does. Well, I'm gonna put this one out to you, and feel free to tell me I'm wrong or I'm only partially right or whatever. You're right. I feel. There is a well, no, you you told me I'm wrong lots of times before, so don't don't immediately jump to that. Uh, I feel there's a Shertak Shanley 
sized hole in FS. It's because people might go, oh, you know, he does what, you know, they don't necessarily use him too much late in games, but he didn't. We go, but yeah, his production, like he was sort of a kept things ticking over so they could kill games off late, like, you know, and so they weren't in big holes. And his type of production, like it's a unique type of player where it's like he's a guy who's going to get, you know, it's not that he can't do anything in the fourth quarter, but he's going to get a lot done for you in those first three quarters. That'll allow other guys, you know, who mightn't have had great first three quarters to really step up and not have as big a hole to climb out of. And I feel that's a hole that they've not really filled. You know, yeah, I mean, it, actually, it's something that we have said before. Like, you know, I think during the season while you were one on, on, on your one of your many, many illustrious quests. And um, I mean, I'm not talking the Lin Kuei, I'm not talking the Dean Mock, where that, they were like legit straight up. I think it was when you were uh, um, Gator swimming, was it? Oh, I think it was with Eddie Hall. We said that uh, while you were trying to become uh, the world's strongest man, we kind of got to the realization that, well, the moving, uh, like Serta Chanelli going from an Adobo FS to Barcelona, with Barcelona not bringing another guy who can play above the rim, kind of maybe, maybe kind of did well, bad thing for sure for Anadolu Fest, but with Barcelona, because it wasn't quite the uh, the best fit at that point in time, we knew that it could be because, you know, certain, like in terms of a role player, amazing. You take him, I take him, like any other reasonable GM who has the money would take him. Uh, so, yeah, I do think it has a, a huge role in it. Uh, that, and, you know, you add to that that now they have uh, Petrushev, which is, he's a great kid, but it's not fair to to put everything on a kid's shoulders. You, you got a Dunstan who's an amazing, you know, beast of a player, but he's not that young anymore. Yeah, and the minutes are going to be lower from Dunstan now, like, you know, exactly. or at least the effective minutes. So you got Tibor Plyce who's doing some great stuff because Tibor is Tibor, but can he do it like throughout an entire season? Also, he's not getting, he's not getting younger. I mean, he's not old, but. I was going to say, Tibor, we can't really put the years on in fairness. Like he's not an old guy. Like Yeah, but here's the thing. You know what? I got a, 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 um, an example that I think you'd appreciate and, and see where I'm going with this. I think that Serta Chanali to Anadolu FS was what Quincy AC was to Maccabi Tel Aviv. I mean, not necessarily yeah, the yeah. best of offensive productivity. I mean, you're, you're not expecting him to put 2010 every night, but that's not his role. He doesn't need to. But I think, I think it's here you're getting it because, like, you look at, you know, sort of the stars of, like, the FS side, like, you know, those guys who are going to make the difference. And they knew that having Shanley in, the, in there, they knew what they were getting, and it was reliable as well like you were he wasn't going to turn the ball over too much he was going to do the job you wanted him to do he was going to be you know where you needed him when you wanted him and if you're a Shane Larkin you know if you're a Micic uh that's quite often just a bonus like having a reliable hand in there who is going to air, air a little and work his butt off for you uh, you know but not like you know sort of in a overthrowing it around way but in an intelligently working his butt off for your way like if you're, you know, trying to like, you know, create space for yourself on the outside, knowing you've got that inside, that was, it was something to work off that was reassuring and let you focus on your own game. And you don't have that now. Yeah. And you know who has like Quincy AC, Olympia, of course. This is why the moment they signed him, I, I said like, you know, I was a fan of their roster when we were talking about the, the sixth season, before we even began the sixth season. Before this season actually began, we talked about the... Um, the fine tuning, because this is essentially what Olympiacos did when you think about it. They needed a shooter. They had a Dorsey. They, they needed this. They brought that guy. Um, I told Luis last week that right now, I think it was to Luis. I mean, I'm, I'm also tired. Don't, don't, don't judge me. Um, if you, if you are, you know, you're a GM 
or a sports director, and you got both walk-up and uh, Slukas, it means that if we're rounding down, you have arguably about 38 to 39 minutes of, of good decision-making. And now you have Dorsey to shoot the lights out whenever he wants to. They have the athleticism. They have Sasha Vaznikov, who was one of the show's favorite guys. And so, yeah, true, they're going to drop a game. I mean, you cannot expect... I mean, to me, this is like kind of a year one for the project. Because right now, you know, if in the NBA, you always see that teams are adding guys uh, every year, whether it's with trades or that they bring a guy from Europe as their 15th, 14th, or maybe, you know, two-way contract. But those fine-tuning kind of market movements, you see their effect like a season later, maybe even two. Uh, and, and I think that is why I don't see like last year's Olympiacos as uh, as year one of the project. To me, year one is now. So I'm expecting them to make it like to a final four kind of thing. Not necessarily win at all, even though they are very capable. They are very capable. That that Quincy AC signing to me is like that is a um, a game changer because again, I'm not I'm not telling you right now, Emmett. You know what? He's gonna he's gonna be the defensive guy. He's gonna be that offensive stopper that the team needs, and and that's it. I mean, obviously he can, <laughs> but it's like all those extra stuff that he adds. And right now, I know they lost to Svesda, and kudos to Svesda, by the way. The hell, I mean, they brought down the league. That is that is one badass team to bring down, and they're not the only ones. They won on the road against Zenit last week. What do you make of them? Oh yeah, well, I think they're a good team. I think it's Vesta. I don't think they're a playoff team, obviously, Moshe, but I do think they're understand what they are and they're doing it very well. Like six and eight for Vesta, 14 games in is a great record. Simple as. Like, you know, we weren't really high on them this year, but like, look at the teams they're ahead of, you know, some of them anyway. Uh, They're ahead of Fenerbahce right now. They've got more wins than Monaco, who started off so well. They got more wins than Basconia, and they got more wins than Panathinaikos. There's only two teams below them who you'd have been fancying them to have more wins than right now. One's Alba, who I think have overperformed at five and nine, and the other is Algiris, who we're going to get to shortly. So, yeah, I think, you know, if I'm Zvezda, I've got to be very happy with how the season has progressed so far. And uh, I think, though, we should really go to Zalgiris because, oh my, oh my, uh, the Sheen has come off after, you know, they got a bit of momentum going. It hit the brakes hard. This week, 51-73, the final score in the old Soviet derby, as it would have been known back in the day. Obviously, it was a long time for the Soviet Union, folks. Uh, ridiculous night for Nikola Militunov. Uh, uh, and uh, wow, wow. Uh, this was not good if you were a home fan, Moshe. Okay, first of all, I will get your word on Olympiacos later because we really got to discuss them. I mean, there's no way around it. Uh, but you were talking about that game that, you remember when they played in Belgrade? I, I mean, I know that this episode, I'm, I'm bringing up Belgrade perhaps way too uh, way too much, but we had a game for the third, fourth spot, you know, uh, for that was the third place game. And you kind of felt that this game, like if you, I, I know you're, you're not a fan of the third place game, we need to go and watch it because we used to do the live shows and we'll obviously probably do that again uh, this year, hopefully. Um, and, and you see that, that, that was perhaps a game that you didn't want to miss, that specific game. I did, but yeah, I I, I got the last few minutes to make sure Zalgiris won. But like, yeah, like I, you know, 
think the only reasonable stance in the third place game is utter this, this, uh, utter utter hatred and scorn uh, is the only reasonable stance in the third place game. <laughs> but yeah, it was great. But I think Zalgirish cared. Uh, and it wasn't that they didn't care against Jessica. It's just they don't have a EuroLeague level roster this year. It's very obvious. Yeah, I mean, um, true for Zalgiris. But what surprises me is, you know, I, I looked throughout the game on the three-point percentage. And Cheska worshipped me because he said the word utter. And I thought, Cheska shot like a whopping 18% from deep at one point. Now, given our current form or lack of form, if you if that is a better word, yeah. and given that, you know, our shape is not uh, at best as we were in our prime. In our primes. Yeah. And playing prime, by the way, because we're still in our, we're very much in our prime right now. Oh, yeah, like the, the sports old and there's actual old. They're two different types of old. Sports yeah. old is obviously a much, much younger age. Yeah, I mean, right now we are the uh, the, the, the OGs kind of thing. Like, you know, we are the ones who are supposed to cultivate the, the next generation kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. That's the 29% for Joggers from deep. And they actually shot better than Cheska, ended up with 24. Now, yeah, Militinov looks like... The, the player that we all kind of wanted and wished for him to be in Cheska. Hopefully he uh, he holds up and, you know, because he had such a bad luck with injuries. Well, I was going to say, the question is, can he stay healthy? If he can stay healthy, he's got to be a player. If he's not, he's a, he's just, you know, becomes a luxury after a while on the roster. And it looks like we have a tamed version of, of Alexis Vett, but in a good way. Not like when we saw the tamed versions of Victor Rudd and other players that, you know, their game was essentially... They they were born to, to you know to kind of live in the wild on the wild side if that makes any sense and you see like Alexi Shved in a different kind of way. For me, the jury's still out in that. Before we go on to the next game, though, I will give you my thoughts on Olympiakos because and I think you summed up my answer before you even said it. I said this is year one of the project. There's going to be defeats at that one in Zvezda where things aren't clicking. And to me, it's that simple. That's why I think they're a playoff team. I don't know if they're a Final Four team, but they're going to have losses like that Zvezda won. That won't be the last one of those kinds of losses they have this year. Uh, the next game I want to get to, though, is in St. Petersburg. And it was where Zenish, where a team I picked to win. I think most and Lewis picked them as well. Yeah, so it was another one where all three of us got it wrong, uh, which is, you know, actually, I like it. Where actually, you... Aris and myself got it wrong. Lewis, Lewis got it right, did he? Oh, good man, yeah. Lewis. So yeah. Fenerbahce won on the back of what would best be described as a really effective game from Jan Vesely. Uh, like nine of 11 from two, two or three from, from deep, eight of nine from free throws, five, five rebounds as well. And sure, he got a steal and an assist as well, because why not? Uh, you know, and uh, Vesely just absolutely dominant from the off really in this one and uh yeah zenit well just you know for a side who we all fancy for the playoffs didn't look like a playoff side in this game Moshe. they did not and that, that is actually what worries me because also that is a team when you hear the name chavi pasqual you think immediately you're a league playoffs and that proved to be the case last year now zenit they got the money they got uh, manos papadopoulos and they have chavi pasqual that trifecta, my friend, is supposed to be, I'm not going to say a lock for the playoffs because that is somewhat uh, uh, arrogant. That is pure arrogant to, to say about a team like, you know, but when you see the roster, you see the way they work, you can assess. So when we're, when we're giving our assessment, because we're not obviously, no one can actually predict, you know, we, we say this team is good, but eventually a game has to be played on court. But the point being is, and I, I've written that in our WhatsApp group, I've said it. 
Shabazz Napier. To me, this is the story because they announced about a month off. Now, that it, it has been for like, what, three now? Three months entering the fourth kind of thing of him being out? Yeah, it's a long time now. And with all the respect, I, I have a legit question here. And I'm asking, I'm asking this for a friend or, you know, essentially for every aging athlete. And, well, you know what? Every uh, guy who's nearing 40 and above. Uh, Jan, since you managed at your age to carry an entire team on your back, how do you get your back to be that strong and <laughs> not get it painful after? Oh, oh, I'd say there's an awful lot of work with the physio and the weight room and all that, uh, more than I was ever willing to put in. No, but uh, this is, I mean, that is their third loss in a row. Now, I know usually we hit that panic button when we see number four, and we have, by the way, a couple of teams that actually – they managed to do that, uh, uh, you know, throughout the years. And first of all, since the, the format has changed, I would say, first of all, I mean, Barcelona do not want to be the team that finishes first in the standings at the regular season. You know why? Because first hasn't won the title, I know. But at the same time, uh, I think okay. this is a side that needs to have a very consistent regular season to carry it through to the playoffs. Yeah, and here's the thing. That's not everything. That four-game losing streak, it's still a thing. I mean, yes... We had seasons in which uh, uh, teams actually managed to get that four-game losing streak and make it to the playoff. And but that it's not was, common. It's not common. That's exactly the thing. Like, for example, at best, you have one team that made it. I, I cannot explain it. I don't know what stands behind it. Uh, sure, I think well, that... Good teams don't lose four games in a row. I suppose it's the best way of putting it. Mostly. It's very simple to me. Like, you know, because uh, like, you know, you know, good teams get their act together sooner. That is a very uh, good point that you're making. Yeah, Moshe, I think we all get it with a four-game losing streak. I mean, we might even come up again with the next game we're getting to. But uh, Zenit St. Petersburg, what I'm going to say as a closing line in them is the record doesn't worry me too much. I would have picked them for like 9-5 after 14 games to rate 6. But that they're not doing the wins they get clearly. Like they're only a plus 8 minus in the score differential. That has me a little, a little bit more worried. Uh, one team which I know Moshe is very worried for because they're the physically closest team to him. And it's not just that they lost, it's how they lost, as always, is what matters. Maccabi, you know, had a narrow lead, but a lead over Ian Suzanne going into the fourth quarter and decided to get utterly dominated, including that absolute boom from Mario Hizonia. And uh, yeah, Moshe, Unix uh, are kind of looking like what we thought Zen were going to be, I suppose, this year in some respects. Yes and no, if that makes sense. Um... Uh-oh. That's a very classic Moja answer, but do go on and explain it. I know, I know. It's a classic me, but hear me out on this. It'll make a whole lot of sense. Yes, we all anticipated the disaster factor, but when you look at a game so far, patterns have emerged. Meaning, throughout, I mean, it's 14 rounds, right? 14 games this year. Unix were competitive in 13 of them. 13 of them, they were extremely competitive. They had six losses, right? Out of these six losses, only one was a total and brutal beatdown. And that was the game with uh, Fenner. Aside of that, all of them were, I think, within the margin of like three points aside of the Monaco game. But two games out of the remaining losses, because one, as we mentioned, was a total beatdown, were in overtime. So you see that that is a team that's going to fight till the very end. That's number one. Number two. And that, that's actually where it gets interesting. Nothing is surprising with this version of, of Unix so far. I mean, the only surprise is that we haven't seen the disaster factor 
and play for many more for much more minutes. That is the true surprise because you look at Isaiah Kanan, right? Or he's yeah. doing what you kind of expected to do. I mean, after game one, like he's consistent. Lorenzo Brown, consistent. John Brown, essentially what you expected of him. And then you have your OJ Mayos. You have your like every. It's, it's they're doing the exact same thing. So, to me. What is surprising is that I think a lot of teams have yet to manage or to figure to figure out how to stop these guys. And well, I, I think one thing that's working in their favor is that balance of personalities because you have the very calm heads in uh, Kanan and the two Browns, but then you've got like sort of the wilder factors in Hazania and Mayo. But like Hazania and Mayo might be known as being wilder guys, but they've always respected guys who are workhorses, like you know. And so they get to be the flashy stars. Like they get to play their type of basketball and your Browns and your Canans uh, come along and they, you know, facilitate in some respects that. So you've got this nice balance of your calm personalities, like still confident, but very calm personalities and your more fiery ones. And it's the type of thing which can go wrong, but so it's a lot about Parasovic as a coach that he's managed to make a gel the way he has. Because uh, uh, if, it, if it doesn't go wrong, it typically goes very right. That's the one flip side of that in a good way. And well, it has gone very right from what I can see so far. They, they did play two more home games, I think, than most teams so far. So that is also a thing. And here's, don't forget, Coach Perasevich, you know, he's, he's a graduate of the Yugoplastica split, that team. And he was the coach of Basconia, who made it to the Final Four in Berlin in uh, 2016 now we're talking there imagine like the just the names on that roster they had toko they had i think hanga they had blasic they had a uh, and here were and, and get this because now it's getting big bertans darius adams mike james Anis barus is like we're talking names that and that team you know what they could have easily just as easily win the early that year with how they were playing oh absolutely and uh, before we go on to the next game though i gotta ask about maccabi uh because Obviously, most in our text chat was basically this is Maccabi's playoff hopes done. I'm not quite there yet. I'm still because like to me, like there's like you know about three or four teams in it for the last you know two or three places. And so to me, they're very much in the hunt. So why are you so down on Maccabi after this particular defeat? Well, first of all, they are now officially in club four. And you look at the double rounder, they have fair away, they have Anadolu at home, two very tough games, and they are finishing the first round at Zenit. So potentially, they can go for a seven-game losing uh, streak. Now, I don't know any team that made it in the new format with being on a seven-game losing streak. Maybe, maybe Fenner, but we do know that they went on a, on a winning spree with, with Goodrich. Uh, okay, you know. okay, I'm going to let you finish your point, but what I'm going to say is this. If Maccabi make it a seven-game losing streak, I'll go all in with you and them being out of it. But do go on. No, I mean, they're not out-out, but it's like so far, if you look at their uh, six, seven games, I think, you'll notice that not a lot of guys are there at the moment, you know? And if it weren't for guys like Scotty or, or Ante uh, and Sorkin and uh, maybe a couple more, like they would have gotten their asses whooped. And that is perhaps a troublesome sign that till now, the only consistency that we're seeing is that the other guys are somewhat, uh, they're stuck in a, in a bad rut. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, speaking of ruts, 
we've got to get to Monaco because they started off so well. And it was a type of game where wounds could have been healed because it was a chance, in theory, for Mike James to hurt a former employer. So there was that going on. So there's a chance, obviously, Mike James going to this hurt, but at the same time, doesn't really, you know, see many minutes. Obviously, you know, probably wasn't happy with it. But Mike James is one of those guys he wants to play no matter what way he's feeling. Like he could have a leg hanging off and he's going to want to be on the floor. Probably isn't going to help the relationship that he only got that short stint motion. Yeah, I think, you know what, and we are, uh, Mike James is human. You know what I mean? Like he's playing it. Of course, yeah. Playing it at uh, um, God level. He is a competitor. You you tell him that he's going to have a leg hanging off him. He still wants to play 40 minutes. Sure. And here's the thing. Now, when I'm saying that he's human and sometimes he's playing like on a cheat code kind of thing, uh, is you look at the roster and you know who's missing from the, what, how many, you know, scoreboards, I think, box scores. And I'm talking about Leo Vesterman. Since the, the loss in Tel Aviv, where he got injured again, um, you know, essentially, Mike's supposed to be that weapon that he needs, like, the guy next to him. And you can say that for Scotty Wilbekin. You can say that for Shea Larkin. And I'm saying these two names on purpose. And because you got to have a one-two punch. I, I never seen a team that was so successful just having one punch. You got to have another guy next to the guy which is another yes and no kind of classic by me. But still, you know, you look at, at, at Vesterman, and I know that his career should have been, like, completely different. He was supposed to be um, one of the best, perhaps, point guards in Europe. But then, you, you know the story. It's a heartbreaking story. Like, you know, we've seen – we knew about the, the two ACLs he tore. Then when he was in Cheska, he had that hip injury. Then he had the back injury. Then he had this. Then he had that. And now you're seeing him getting injured again. And you're like, you cannot, like, you cannot, you can definitely not succeed not having a point guard. And now when you have just Perry Slee and you have um, Mike James, I mean, yeah, you cannot expect them to both play together for 30 plus minutes, but it's easier to focus on one guy. And then you double team him and then you rough him up a bit. And Mike James has been playing crazy minutes and we've seen him, we've seen him stepping off the court in pain. And it happened a couple of times. So, I mean, honestly, we, we need to check it, I think, a bit more thoroughly uh, on how many games did Monaco win with Leo Vesterman and how many they won without him. And I think we'll, we'll be getting somewhat of a surprising answer. And by surprising, I mean a very much not surprising answer. That's fair. And before we get to the standings, a very quick thoughts on the last two games, the ones we aren't going to cover in depth, which is uh, Panathinaikos winning at home against Alba and the win for Basconi at home over Asvel. Anything surprise you already in either of those games, Moshe? Yeah, the, the four of us got it right. <laughs> Harsh, but fair. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get to the standings in just one moment when Emmett fixes his uh, little setup here. Hang on, folks. In the meantime, is Emmett worried about any team right now in the competition? I mean, aside of Anadolu FS, when we saw... The... I'm not... I'm oddly still not worried about FS. I know... No, me too. I, I, that's, the, that's the thing. I'm not worried as well because what I, what I was about to say is even though... Like when we saw their bounce last year, when they bounced back, they didn't drop a game like that. And like, again, they wouldn't have dropped a game like that. So this is maybe not worrying, but, you know, this is something to pay attention to. But in general, is there a team that you're worried about that you thought, OK, they are they are in the fight for the playoffs, but right now they are not even remotely close to it? 
I wouldn't say it's actually a team who's currently in the playoffs that I'm a little worried might have a bit of issues because I thought Zenit would start a lot stronger than they have. Like, even though I only had them one more win, I thought they'd look better than they've looked. And they haven't. And that's going to be a concern for them as you get into that this like middle stretch we're getting into now. So I expected more from Zenit than they've delivered, is what I would say. So that's the team I'd probably be most worried about right now, which it's not a huge fear, but it's, you know, still more than I expected. And so quick look at the standings, though, before we move on. Uh, so Barcelona, obviously, on top at Real second, and both those comfortably uh, in those positions until at least the end of this week, as in the end of the double rounder, because Real have a two-game lead over third place. We have quite a packed bunch, like, so only two teams on 10 wins, which, you know, is pretty good for the health of the league, I think. Like, you know, Olympiacos, Milano, and Sheska all on nine and five. Unix and Zenit on eight and six. Maccabi in the last of those spots right now, seven and seven, ahead of Bayern on score differential and Asvel on the same. Um, FS, Zvezda, six and eight. Fenner, Monaco, Alba, and Basconia, all five and nine. With Panathinaikos four and ten, and Zalgiris bottom of the bunch three and eleven. And on that note, we will get to our games of the week, and it's a double rounder. So we have we'll do the Tuesday and Wednesday games first, and then we'll do the Thursday Friday games. So your Tuesday games five four split, Anadolu FS host Basconia, Fenerbahce home to Maccabi, Zvezda play Barcelona, Milano play Panathinaikos, Real Madrid play Alba Berlin. Wednesday, it is Sheska versus Unix, Zalgiris versus Monaco, Asvel versus Zenit, and Olympiakos versus Bayern. For me, Friday is a pretty simple pick. I'm going to go with the Russian derby, uh, Sheska versus Unix. I think it's got plenty going. It's not Friday. For me, Wednesday has got a, a simple pick. It's I'm going to go with the Russian derby. I think Sheska Unix just writes itself as a storyline right now, given what we described about both teams in the last few minutes. Tuesday, Little tougher call. Uh, I think there's a couple of nice ones in there, but I'm going to go with Fenerbahce versus Maccabi. My nine picks are FS, Maccabi, Barcelona, Milano, Real Madrid, Sheska. Who do I trust less? Zalgiris, Zenit, and I will go with Olympiacos to hold home court. Moshe, your two games to watch and your nine picks, please. Okay, I have to tell you this. While you were uh, doing your thing, being Big D, the Bearded Thunder, who's, by the way, from what I heard, is considering becoming a coach. Who knows? Um, in all seriousness... Not in this lifetime. It's what? Not in this lifetime, I said. Well, we shall see about that. So, Leo Vesterman, right? He played uh, from round one to six and rounds nine and 10. With him, they are even, okay? So they are, yeah. they are four and four with him. Without him, they lost all the other games, I think, and maybe one. Well, no, we're down one game then, because got, they've got five wins. So yeah, one, they, they only won one without him. Okay, so let's go with your two picks, please, Moshe. So your, your two games to watch and your nine picks, please. Uh, yeah, so that's actually a tough week, but I think, I think, and get this, are you sitting down? And you I can I, see that I'm doing that most. You literally can. I that actually that was actually uh, more addressed to uh, uh, Louis. The Bob. audience. Yeah, and the audience, Louis, the audience, and obviously Aris, our family member. So I'm actually thinking that you were very much the voice of reason here. Oh God. Yeah, I know how you hate it. Um, yes, very much so. <laughs> Go on. Fenner Maccabi and the Russian Derby, if we can call it that. Uh, by the yeah. way, did you pick Cheska? I, I picked Shaska to win that game, yeah. 
I think though Unix can take that win, but who knows, you know? Well, let's get the nine picks and see if we're picking them. Yeah, no, I'm going on Adolu. I'm going Maccabi because we really got, I'm sure that, that Luce is going to pick Fenner and we got to increase the gap from him, right? So on Adolu, Maccabi, uh, Barcelona, even though I have this strong vibe about Zvezda, you know, Milan, Madrid, Cheska, Jalgaris, Olympiacos, and Zenit. That brings us on to the Thursday Friday games with a 4 5 split. Fenerbahce hosts Basconia, Panathinaikos versus Barcelona, Maccabi versus FS, Milan versus Real. Friday, Unix plays Algiris, Asvel plays Zenit, Zvezda play Bayern, Alba play Sheska, and Olympiacos play Asvel. For Friday, I'm going Zvezda Bayern. I think it's just the one that really has the most chance for true grind out competition there. And for Thursday, I'm going Milano Real because they're both good basketball teams. I like to see them play each other. My picks. Okay, we were due a Basconia, have a Basconia style win. So we're Basconia win in Istanbul. Uh, I'm going for over there. Barcelona win over Panathinaikos. I normally pick, it's, it's rare I don't pick Panathinaikos versus Barcelona as a must watch game because it's normally a great game. I just don't think this is going to be very good, but Barcelona will get the win. I'm going Maccabi hold home court against Efes. And I'm going Milan hold home court against Real. Unix beats Algirish. I just don't trust Monaco. Zenit again. And, uh, Zvezda beat Bayern, I think. Sheska beat Alba and Olympiakos beat Asvel. Moshe, your two to watch and your nine picks, please. You know, if only we could pick two games out of the uh, Thursday card, that would be great. Because, you know, we, re- we really have two great games with Milan, Madrid and Maccabi Efes. There's no, no worry around that. But here it goes. Um, I think that Zvezda Bayern will, is definitely the game to watch for, you know what, two reasons. Reason number one. It's Vezda at home, so we're expecting Zvezda to, you know, bring a beat down. Number two, Byron are on the rise, and you know, it, I think it's a very good game to watch, honestly. And Milan, Madrid, simply because they are in good form, relatively speaking, you know. So, like you, I'm picking them. Uh, I'm actually going Fenner. I don't think the Basconia do Basconia win at Fenner. I think that they will have to. I, I don't see how they're dropping the ball, but you know, prove me wrong, guys. Oh, no, my rationale is entirely based on badness, just to be clear. Like, you know, Basconia oh, only win in weird circumstances, like, you know. Oh, this year, for sure. This year, more than, than ever, I think. I'll circle back to Panathacos Barcelona because, Panath- you know, Panathacos, they actually got some impressive home wins. Yeah, but they're a bad basketball team. Yeah, that is true. You know what? The hell with it. Barcelona, Maccabi, Milano, Unix, Zenit. I think it's sort of a clear-cut kind of week, you know. Even though the games are good, Cheska, Oli, Vesta? Yeah, that's great. And on that note, uh, we'll be back next week as ever. And I'll be back next week as well, which I know isn't as ever, but hey, I'm back next week. As ever, you can find me. Ball in Europe is the website, the YouTube, the Twitter, and the Facebook. Ball in Europe com is the Instagram. Moshe, tell them where to find us and tell them where to find you, sorry, and take us home. And also us. And of course, don't forget to follow the show, EL Sweet 16 Show on Twitter, uh, where Lewis did a great live tweet there during El Clasico last week. We'll have more stuff like that coming up for you over the weeks to come. So follow that on Twitter. Moshe, tell us where to find you and take us home. And you sold out Lewis for, for a bag of beans. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And as ever, you can find me, oh, but before you do, have Glenny for Lewis on Twitter. And Ari said, R Barkas and, you know, the various social media platforms of your hoops and for Aris Barkas, of course. 
Make sure, make sure you follow him. He's a very good dude. We love him. And, and also follow Louis because we love him as well. He's like really a member of our family. Very talented, very funny. And above all, you know, Emmett, I think he, he's good with his hands. So, you know, as a handyman, that, that should be pretty well. I'm, I'm expecting him to, uh, to, do, to do great stuff. He's our glass man, right? I mean, he was a good rebounder for the very least. Uh, that no doubt. I think it's time to tell the people when we'll see them. Well, you know, they'll see them every, we will see them whenever they want to see us. But in the meantime, you need to follow me as well on I am Team Scott and then Moses B1 on Twitter and Moses B1 on Instagram, the Facebook page, the, you know, the website, teamscout.net. So yeah, just follow, hit the, share the, uh, you know, and subscribe. And you should know this show is available on Spotify, on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and well, essentially wherever you get good podcasts. Uh, so I think, yeah, there's just this, like, you know, till next time. Great pass from Diomantidis. The lob is we go. 40 minutes to a title. David Blue for three. From the line, David Blue. Now Spinelli's drives inside. Look for the oh. Corey Higgins just exploding. Euroleague Sweet 16. Exactly what you need.